0: You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hi, lexiconiseurs and work chefs. Welcome to another Balticon episode of The Melting Podcast. Hi! I'm your head chef, A.F. Grappin.
1: I'm your grill mistress, Erin Kazmark.
0: We need to have a talk about these Balticon episodes.
1: I'm sorry. What well, did I do?
0: No, you didn't do anything. It's what I did. I didn't have foresight.
1: Okay.
0: So, going forward in 2019, we're going to be renaming these Balticon bonus episodes. Okay. Because we're actually going to another convention this year. Mhm. It's not necessarily a writing convention. Um it's a multi-genre, multi-fandom convention. Mm-hmm. But we may be able to go to some voice acting panels. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially some other creative panels that we're going to be recording. Yep. So we're not limited to Balticon anymore, so calling them Balticon episodes doesn't make sense. Plus they're not bonus episodes. We they're regular episodes Just now. Mid month. So we're changing this segment to the chef's table. righty. Because I mean, chefs.
1: Yeah. They're food.
0: Yeah, they're 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 making things. These are the professionals. Yes. So Going forward, welcome to The Chef's Table. These will now become numbered episodes, too, as well. So. Yay! So, yeah. So, that said, we have a panel from Balticon 2018. <laughs> um, <laughs> kind actually, of uh,
1: undermining yourself there a little bit.
0: Yeah. But, you know, we're this is still just, it's a new year. We're, we're fixing things. Happy New Year! Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. That's, new year. That was two weeks ago. <gasps> well. Anyway, enjoy this. Nice crowd for Monday.
2: Oh.
3: Um, so, welcome to pitches we're sick of and ones we'd like to hear. Um, I'm Sarah Avery, your moderator. I'm a writer. Um, I, it took me 12 years, but I caught an agent. Um, I kind of cheated because while I was while I was sending my first novel around and getting all of the usual rejections, um, I. Wrote other things, and one of the other things ended up getting an award. So my approach to writing a pitch letter that or a query letter that works was by living my life until my bio paragraph grew something useful. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot say that I necessarily learned how to master the, the query letter. Um, so so that's that's me. Um, and who are you, gentlemen?
2: I am Joshua Bilmes. The uh Head of Jabberwocky Literary Agency. I have been an agent for 30 years and represent authors like Brandon Sanderson, Shirley Harris, Peter V. Brett, Jack Campbell, Elizabeth Moon, um, and uh, this year sold the first novel for somebody I met at Balticon last year. So that
4: was really good. So. Hi, I'm Neil Clark, I'm the publisher and editor of World Magazine, and uh, I also edit the CIFA bulletin, so I handle nonfiction on that side as well.
3: And I, I was perplexed to see that the, the panel about pitches mm-hmm. has a person who's best known as a magazine editor, where pitches are just yeah. not relevant yeah. to magazine publishing, so right off the bat I'd like to find some way to expand or adapt the topic. Because we have real expertise that I don't want to miss out on, on, on opening up to you guys. Yeah. So so just generally submissions yeah, submission you're looking for yeah. and how and to that. And we can touch on these.
4: nonfiction too, since I cover that too. Awesome. Okay. And that's that is pitches. As the person who came
5: up with the panel, I expanded as pitches a very general term. Okay,
4: uh, okay.
3: you. let's see if we can in five minutes or less dispense with the basics of professionalism because I don't want these guys to be stuck half an hour in still saying remember to put your name on the manuscript <laughs> um, so if you if you are just starting out with queries, pitches synopses and cover letters um, you can find great resources for that on the SIFWA website um, if you want to get a, a, a really in depth sort of Education in the business side of writing, and there's something you don't find at SIFWA. The Romance Writers of America have the best professional education for authors that um, that is out there, or at least that is their reputation. I was going to yeah. say, if you're looking for a chapter, I am unofficially <coughs> the secretary to the Washington Romance Writers DC Board. Unofficial because we haven't made it official, but. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of writers join RWA who are not romance writers for the professional connections and the professional training. Um, so if you if you want to say how do I write a query letter, how do I produce a pitch, the, the very basic how-tos can be found in many places and those are, are the two most common. Um, but but what what we what I think we are we're aiming at here is trends in submission and how to deal with trends, because trends are notoriously unreliable. In book publishing, by the time you have identified a trend, written to a trend, and have a manuscript you're ready to submit to a trend, um, if you sold that book tomorrow, it wouldn't come out for two years, and that trend could be dead.
2: So, And I'd like to speak a little to that, because it's uh, there's a very good example from the past, like, recent history. The paranormal boom you know, kind of started by Laurel K. Hamilton and then Buffy comes around and soon you've got, you know, Mary Janice Davidson and Charlene Harrison, a gazillion people. Charlene Harrison's um, agent? Yeah. Now, <laughs> when my agency sold Cat Richardson's Greywalker novels in like 2004, 2005, I was already then wondering if by the time the books were published, this trend would have collapsed, which happily didn't happen. Um, But when it finally did, what happens is it takes a few years for even the publishers to notice that the trend is dead. The first time something doesn't work, you blame the cover. Or you say, well, maybe the book wasn't so good after all. Or you say, maybe we shouldn't have published it that month because of the competition. So even for the publisher, it takes multiple times when they're trying to launch a new paranormal series and it doesn't work, before they finally realize nothing is working anymore. The genre is dead. We have to really stop buying it. And even after they've made that decision, they still have a year or two of books they purchased already In their inventory, plus they have the second and third books of all of the people they tried launching. So by the time the word gets out to writers that the genre is dead, I had clients coming to me with their wonderful paranormal projects a year after I already knew it was dead, and they seemed to think it was a wonderful thing. So you never want to really chase a trend. Whatever you're writing, from the heart, what you think you're best at writing, and when you're pitching it, Hopefully that will come through a little bit, not that you're just trying to chase the latest hot thing.
3: How does that affect magazine publishing? Because my impression is that in magazines you more see the slow evolution of the genre rather than hot trends. We see
4: it ahead of it becoming the thing for novels. Mm. um and uh, so you'll get a lot more experimentation people try different things A magazine will want variety mm-hmm. uh, they won't want a ton of the same types of stories and that's where the trends become problematic um, so right now there's a lot of superhero stories coming in and you know that you know, there might be uh, so far as I know there's no magazine cur- currently that is that is really focused on on that. Uh, uh, but those the, the stories will get out one or two here and there, but not much more than that because it, 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 they're a little too um, specialized.
3: So actually that that brings us to one of the points I, I came up with in my notes. One of the most common rejection reasons that, that I hear for projects that editors and agents really liked is it's too similar to something I just published, just bought, already represent. Um so, when, you, when, when a new author or a Neopro is trying to get something out there, um, how, how would you recommend that that person balance? I see that this gatekeeper likes the kind of work I do, versus that gatekeeper is completely blooded on the kind of work I do.
4: Well, with a magazine like, like what I'm doing, uh, if I get two, I, well, I'll give you an example. I got two stories that featured. Uh, 3D printing in, in a way that I thought was really cool. And I just spaced the months apart. So, with a magazine, I have that window of opportunity to, to stretch it out. Whereas, if I was, this was an anthology call, I could have only taken one of them. So, it's really going to be based on the project that's going on uh, in, in more in short fiction than uh, that it might be in. Non-
3: and, and you're not signing on for an author for their entire career, you no, no, hope? No. That,
4: that's not I, I want career. them to come back, yeah. but these
3: days that's not as common. But for an agent, you're looking for a different kind of relationship. Well,
2: I mean, but I also think one of the reasons to have an agent is we have more experience looking at rejection letters. Mm-hmm. I think it's... Uh, a lot of times people are being polite. They just want to say something nice about while they're getting rid of a, uh, a project. And I have something just like it is, um, uh, you know is a very nice, non-committal, non-judgmental way of just saying goodbye. Um, and that, by the way, that, that I, I, I mean, I had an editor recently reject one of my projects by saying I had, because I was really excited about it, by saying I had to get a second read to believe you'd sent me something that bad. <laughs> and i and, and i actually didn't mind that because i there is so much po- meaningless politeness in the world <laughs> And if you're a writer, one of the things we do is help you determine whether there are trends that are significant in 8 or 10 rejection letters, not that you keep having to reshape your worldview because of what each person says, which is like being buffeted in a small boat in very
4: choppy seas. So you've mastered the art of (laughs) rejectomancy.
2: I think Jim Himes just has the title of future book (laughs) (laughs) to go with (laughs) (laughs) Libriomancy. No, I
4: I know it's short fiction. In our case, we use form letters, so I realize that that's. I mean, we're dealing with such high volume, you know. It, but if you get one of those top-tier letters from, from a market that uses form letters, that's very important. I always tell people that the top 2% get those letters. And as far as I'm concerned, that letter is only given to somebody who I think it has demonstrated very clearly in what they've just written that they could probably sell us a story in the future. So that it, it really should be a much stronger, hey, please keep sending, uh, and then there's the, the personal letters that you get back from, from uh, uh, a, a short fiction editor. And those personal letters, you can, you can always tell they're personal. Um, uh, those should be treated as worth their weight in gold. You not, might not agree with everything that's said in it, but the fact that they took the time to do that um, is a very important thing to, to recognize as valuable.
6: I got a two-sentence rejection email from FSF. One sentence was sorry, you know, not taking your story. The second sentence said, "When I, what the way I interpreted the second sentence and helped me rewrite the beginning of the story was, I had not foreshadowed the day so that it it was for the reader came totally out of left field. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't put that in there, and so that helped me rewrite it, And, and, and that." worth its weight in gold.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. A good rejection can make you a better writer, and it can certainly make a, a project a better project.
6: And it gives you a different perspective on your story. So you step back and look at it and go, oh, I did that wrong. Mm-hmm.
3: You stick in the business long enough, you will have favorite
2: rejections. <laughs> <laughs> Just when there are empty chairs, so, you know, not have to stand. You
5: have empty... Um,
3: So are there any trends that you think are early enough in their life cycle that a person who is already writing that kind of work can hope to ride that wave?
4: Well, I think uh, based on some of the conversations that were happening at the Nebula Awards weekend uh, last week, uh, there there are people who are growing tired with, with dystopias. Uh, and want to see something—not that the whole story needs to be optimistic and positive—but something good happen. Like, because not everything, <laughs> not everything is terrible. Not everything's going to be destroyed. There should be something good coming out. So there was this—they this, were trying to coin a term, and I, I really hate it: um, hope punk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Hope punk. Yeah, they put punk on it. Oh, fuck. Yeah. It's like salt. But it, it, it's it, uh, where they're coming from, I think, is, is, is kind of neat. But the name, no. <laughs>
2: well, uh, there's definitely, in trade publishing, the idea of diversifying mm. what you're publishing is real. And I don't think that that is going to stop because younger generation coming on, they really, a lot of people, especially in publishing, which, you know, is a trade that attracts people with a certain, like, I want to be publishing books I love, I want to be making a difference. There's still a lot of that. That's not going to stop. Um, And you look at a list, um, like David Pomerico, let's say, for Harper Voyager, really trying very hard in that regard. And I don't think he's an exception. And you look at the people being chosen to review books at the New York Times and the Washington Post and the books that they're choosing to cover. There are a lot of people who are saying it's time for change and I can bring that about. And that's one of the reasons, of course, why you had the whole sad puppy thing, is because there's a change, and people wish it could go back to being the way it was, and it's not. So don't be afraid right now to be representing any kind of diverse point of view that you go back 10 years we haven't seen a lot of. So if you, if you write the book that you want to read, but that you
3: can't find anywhere, hopefully if you've done a good job of it, it will be a book that nobody else has seen. Start the trend yourself.
6: Yes. So, before you can actually reject a work of art, you actually read it. But
3: Not necessarily.
6: <laughs> but, but, but in terms of the, the pitch, or the cover letter, or whatever, what are red flags that are sort of a storm warning signal that you're not going to like uh, or not going to be able to use whatever comes under that cover letter or
2: I mean, curry, curry email or for 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 me, I mean, like, don't use a lot of adjectives to describe your own work. <laughs> uh, don't filibuster. You want to keep it onto one page, which is harder and harder because people just send emails and don't realize how long they are anymore. I think for a query letter, actually, try printing it out like an old-fashioned business letter if you can find a dark, dusty corner of the internet that says what one of those is. (laughs) Uh, 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 um, You know. Um, uh, But um, so those are definitely two of my hot buttons are just um, you know remember it's a business letter. Not to be cute, not to suck up, that you're trying to treat it like a job application shouldn't be any different than sending a cover letter with your resume to get a job as a vice president of sales someplace. Um, And that will help.
3: So there there was a trend specifically in query letters when I was first trying to learn to write queries. And I saw this most often in romance, which is not a thing I do, but I was learning from ro- romance writers because they knew the business. And apparently it's quite common, or was in the odds, the mid-aughts, to write the first paragraph of a synopsis um, from the viewpoint of the novel's main character. And I knew immediately that this was not a thing I wanted to do. On the other hand, there were some people who were selling books doing that. Um, is that is that still a trend in submissions? And I'm regardless of whether it is
2: aware. is or is, so that that's not I'm, a thing that goes over. I'm, you, I'm not, not aware, aware to of it. I mean. <sighs> And you always hear sometimes about the odd, offbeat way of doing things precisely because it's the odd, offbeat way of doing things. That's why a lot of people think writing is going to make them rich, because the deals you read about are the big deals because they are exceptional. So you hear more about them than most of the deals that are, still a lot of them, into four figures for selling a book to a major publisher in the science fiction and fantasy genre. you know, um, we have seats, so nobody should want to, I can find one, two, three seats. It does, yes. Uh, I, I think it's a good job to let people know that they don't. Um, you know, so um, the most important thing, though, like pitches you do and don't want to see is a pitch that doesn't reflect your guidelines because some people say very clearly, I would love to have the first sentence of your book in the query letter. Other people don't want that at all. Some people want the first 10 pages of your book in open text in your query letter. Others don't want that at all. You really ought to pay attention to submission guidelines and do what people are telling you they wish for you to do.
3: Especially for editors and agents where they are looking for people with whom they can hope to set up a long-term professional relationship, they'd like to know that you can follow directions. A person, a a client or, or an author who cannot follow directions is hard to work with and you don't want to be stuck with that person for 20 years or go in hoping for for 20 years' duration and then having to cut them loose after one book. Um, Actually, I I wanted to give Neil a chance, because you looked like you were about to jump in a couple times.
4: Um, um, On on short fiction, it's it's a cover letter, not so much a a query, Um, uh, and in that case... Uh, most of them are terrible. The cover letters, <laughs> and, and, and as a result, I read them last, um, so that they don't uh, take. Never ever put a summary of your story in a, in a cover letter for short fiction. I've had cover letters that have been longer than the stories <laughs> themselves. Uh, so, so yeah. And then on the nonfiction side, since since I'm also editing that, um, you're you're pitching an article idea. And you want to be, you know, maybe a paragraph or two. Include how long you think it's going to be, because a lot of people forget to do that. Um, and uh, you know what your area of expertise in relationship to this article is. Uh, you know, so you, know, you you want to pitch an article about archaeology and, and 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 writing, you know, scenes that involve it, and you happen to be an archaeologist pension that because it's important to me understanding that you're the, you're qualified to write this piece uh, so you're selling yourself and the story in or the, and the article uh, with nonfiction so you had a question
1: yeah I wanted to kind of go back to um, trends for a moment mm-hmm. um, I wanted to know um, besides what used to be popular and what's popular now which could change okay. what if yours is in a category do you mean isn't in a
3: category as in like sub-sub-genres with, with trends yeah. or isn't in a category like a larger genre, like my book defies genre boundaries between science fiction and... Because that, that can mean, create problems. Well,
1: I... I, um, I mean, I'm just... I actually jotted down a couple examples of... Well, Manifelder, that's a movie, but... um. I, I can't find where I wrote it down. Um, okay. Some types of fiction that are speculative but are not in the genre. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, if it's okay, like, um, if it doesn't yeah. fit into something, or is it going to be at a disadvantage if you don't try to label it? I guess that.
2: Yes. The the the. If you go into a bookstore, how are the books organized? By
1: genre.
2: By category. Category. The whole publishing system is arranged to figure out where in a bookstore your book is supposed to go. Um, So if you can't begin to categorize a book that's kind of a problem. And if you send us a pitch letter that says my book is between categories or my book is uncategorizable that guess, is not going to be helpful to the well, cause. What I'm
1: talking about, you guys are talking about trends. Are you talking about tropes? Are you talking about tropes? No, no.
3: Tra- no. It's again. like if if someone's going to you know, describe your book in one sentence. If you're trying to describe that not to a reader necessarily, but to an acquiring editor or an agent, you want to position your book within like five words in relation to. Other similar books enough so that they can figure out where it's shelved, who your who your comps are likely to be. Now you you may have something that's kind of that's a weird combination that can be a huge advantage, but if you can't say what it is, then that's going to be a problem. For, problem. But
1: I guess what I'm saying is you were, guys were talking about trends and you were talking about paranormal.
3: Yeah. Oh, paranormal romance is 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 it's
1: it's, it's over oversaturated. Also. Okay. So paranormal it's romance
3: good. is it, but is but Okay. So So so, oh, so you're looking for other examples of other trends chemicals. that have trends that have reached the end and of their life cycles that or, or that in, appear to be and then
1: what if your
3: what if your isn't in that okay place? so so what do you never want to see again based on its relationship with trends as opposed to based on its relative professionalism or right. readiness for right. prime time?
2: Right. Trends. Well but to get back to what Sarah said right at the start, there kind of aren't any that are totally dead because even though even though like the urban fantasy thing is kind of we still sell some things to diversion books, or at least we used to, except the staff is changing. Um Vampires, we're told, are starting to come back now. Um, steampunk, we're told, is dead, except the odds that steampunk isn't going to have another one of these revival periods when there's an establishment talking about it while ignoring the fact that most readers still don't buy steampunk, I wouldn't bet on the fact that there isn't going to be a steampunk revival in the next three to five years. Um... So, like, to to talk about mine, we took on a book um, that is a cozy mystery set in a LARP store. Um, (laughs) It's a wonderful idea, except that the people who read cozy mysteries hate LARP. (laughs) because cozy mystery readers are mostly like, you know, silver-haired librarian types, and I'm not making this up. You all had the opportunity in the D.C. area to go to Malice Domestic in North Bethesda just a few weeks ago and see for yourself who goes to that convention. Um, They don't want LARP. But we did sell it to Diversion Books. It was just too good a book when my colleague, Lisa Rogers, came to me, and I read the book. And I said, how can we not take this on? It's a wonderful book. We love the idea. (laughs) Maybe there'll be enough of us. Oh, yes.
5: This is a little bit of a different question, but what is the preferred reaction to a rejection letter? I'm speaking to this because I did get one of those really long, detailed rejection letters. And I was sort of like, oh, my God, they spent time on me. That was so nice. I better make sure they don't have to spend any more time whatsoever. I'll give them the shortest response possible,
4: which on some level yeah. is. Yeah. Thank you. Right, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be two words. Thank you. And, and, yeah. and, and, you know, that's appreciated. There's not really much of an expectation on that. Um, you know, the, the thing you don't do is respond negatively. You, you can write that one, just don't send it. <laughs> <laughs> don't
1: write it in your email
3: application. You don't, you don't want to run the risk of accidentally sending it.
6: But, so once you've received the rejection notice, there's no, really no expectations that yeah. you're going to... You'll, you'll, you'll take your story and move on to a different... Right.
4: We're just more interested in what's coming next. We give you those notes to help you prepare for the next submission.
2: Unless if it looks like they're asking you to rewrite yes. the story, you may want to actually rewrite the story. But they don't or, say that yeah. really clearly if yes. they want. Yeah. There
4: will be a very specific uh, uh, invitation to resubmit with revision uh, if they are asking for revisions. And take that opportunity. That's a really good learning experience, even if you don't end up selling it. And I have
2: to remember to be very explicit about that because I'm amazed by people who can't pick up on the hints. <laughs> if you don't be very explicit, that's why we are very. Explicit. <laughs> yes, it's a question back.
0: Um, I have the the thing that people seem to be had had be the most controversial thing I see in articles about. Uh, pitch letters is uh, comp titles. Seems like half the people say we hate comp titles. If we see one more comp ti- one more query that says my book is Harry Potter meets Robot, I'm going to throw up. And the other people say. You have to include comp titles, and at least one of them needs to be a book written that published in the past five
3: years. And this is where trends are super relevant, too, because if you are coming up with comp titles and they're from trends that have died or from generations past, and nothing has been published in the past five years, it's like your book, then you have a problem. So, but yeah, always read the guidelines, obviously.
2: Um, do you do anything with comp titles in your I think in a query letter that well-chosen um, can be a good indicator that the person writing the query letter reads in the genre they want to write in and has an idea what they're doing. Um, uh, there's a risk of being too cute about it, and I think that's one to watch out for. Um, we can tell when people are stretching, um, like they've read my bio and are jumping overboard to do a reference to it in the query letter. There are ways of doing that which are natural and seem apt in ways where I can tell this person's trying too hard.
3: Or if you are very new to the field and your comps are gigantic cultural phenomena like Game of Thrones. Like, I might reasonably say the novel that I have on submission is Game of Thrones meets Hamilton, but that's not necessarily going to help me because it's, it's, it's aiming so high in terms of audience saturation. My book
2: isn't going to satisfy all of those audiences. Well, sadly, you can't use Game of Thrones because there hasn't been a book in the last five years. <laughs>
0: Okay. <laughs> he is the I hero. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and comps are simply not a thing that you use in magazines because your story stands or falls on its own. No, but if I'm pitching an anthology, I may. Ah, okay. So. so let's talk about anthologies. Yes. Um, so um, I I don't think you have a lot of anthologies going
2: on. We'll try. I just tried to sell a, um anthology on uh, new Oz stories. Oh, uh, The person who works on it knows writers from working on programming for a convention, kind of like Balticon. Um, <laughs> it's a good way to build a relics. And I knew it wouldn't sell. Um, Oz is just so... Um, It, it's very yesterday right now. And even with good writers, I took this project on knowing it wouldn't sell. But I was like, I love people with a Rolodex. I like the author. And I think you you can do worse than to try and have relationships in the field with people who have a good Rolodex. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, <laughs> but Neil has anthologies that have... have been very influential. I don't. I don't know how. I don't know anything about how anybody's sales are going. But like, I've I've picked up your anthologies and they're awesome. So how oh, do you thank pitch you. those?
4: Um, well, it, there's a lot of ideas going back and forth between the publisher and I. So the, um, you know, the, the last the, you know, I, I get invited to to, to pitch something, so they said "What ideas do you have for for the the next one?" Because we really like the last one we did with you.
2: Which publisher? This is Nightshade.
4: Okay. So I'm dealing mostly with, with um, Jared, with, who's, who's part of, really, Skywars. Um, uh, and uh, so I'll send him a bunch of ideas, and I'll say, okay, well, I have an idea for a, sort of like a follow-up anthology to the one, to one we did last year. And if that one was like Star Wars, this one is like Star Trek. And that's, he, he clicked right off of that. He goes, okay, I understand exactly what that means. Um, and because I tried to explain it to many a for my and it just wasn't getting in, but in one sentence, we cleared the table, and that's the one that's coming out in, in, in July happened to be called the final frontier so <laughs> um, the, so there's there's uh, uh, you know things like that, so we'll go back and forth and, and uh, we're actually doing that right now with uh, with, with hopefully the uh, 2019 projects
3: cool so. So it sounds like you are not working through an agent as your intermediary. You're
4: no, going directly. No, most directly agents been interested. <laughs> so, yeah. so I've been dealing directly with with uh, with Nightshade, and, uh, and they also do my years best, which is why they they asked me for some other projects.
3: Okay. Um, trying to remember when you started doing years bests there were like a lot of other years bests already out there yeah i mean you still are but 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 now you're one of the established ones how did you get into doing the years best you would have had to pitch yourself as actually i got invited really yeah i got i
4: I got asked (laughs) if i would be interested originally they, they had they what they pitched to me was a science fiction fantasy and i said no i would much rather focus it um, because uh, from my experience, uh, short fiction, science fiction does sell better than uh, fantasy. So if you were doing the fantasy only volume and the science fiction only volume, the science fiction would more likely sell better. Um, uh, and uh, I didn't. Uh, it also helped keep the, uh, the the amount of reading I would have to do down a little bit. <laughs> because you know when you have to read all of the published stories in a year. Anything you can do to, to pare it down just a tiny bit. Yeah. Uh, because your slush pile is the fuel. Is everything published. I, I mean, at least yeah. it's
3: not things that were unpublishable. Right.
4: right. But, I, <laughs> but I do now I do end up reading other people's magazines like a slush pile. Um, so, mm. you know, it, it's and it's a full year's worth of reading. Uh, yeah. A lot of work. Um, but it's a fun type of project to be involved in.
3: But you're now in the position where... where editors at book publishing companies pitch projects to you, which is a whole other universe than most of us can imagine living in. <laughs> Not
4: many of them are pit- <laughs> I, I am still or, 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 or my anth- I've been doing anthologies for a few years now uh, so I'm beginning to, to grow that. I'm, I was much better known for the magazine and that's what got my foot in the door for the anthologies. Um, and uh, So, so yeah, I would love to actually have another publisher uh, in, in the mix just, to, just in case. You know, it, 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 that's why I tend to recommend to, to, to authors who are writing short fiction to, to send to multiple markets and not end up putting all their eggs in one basket because if one goes away, you're, you're, you're out on your own again.
3: So I'd, I'd like to touch on um, manuscript wish lists. There, there, I think there are two websites that are, are called manuscript wish lists. At the moment. And people will, uh, people, editors and agents will often um, use the hashtag MSWL on their posts saying, you know, I've been seeing all of this in my slush pile. What
2: I really wish I could find is
3: that. Um, Do you ever? I have
2: never used that hashtag. Sam Morgan, um, the Foundry, used to work for me. He, I know, uses it. Um, you know, so I'm aware of it, but I personally have mm-hmm.
4: never gone down that route. Um, so, so to, just out of curiosity, I know for, for me as short fiction editor, if I say I'm looking for... Robot stories. All I'll get is robot stories. The same thing happened to you if you, if you were to say we're really looking for paranormal stuff, and you would just that—that's all you get.
2: I think in some ways, um, at the social media, I don't know how much it actually overcomes what you're known for doing, okay. yeah. because um, you know, like. To give an example, um, you know, I have um, like a little over 1,300 followers on Twitter. Um, You know, Sam, I think, 2,700 or something. And even if it's signal boosted by people who follow, it's probably being boosted to a lot of the same people. So what's the total audience and how many of them are actually wanting to be writers and how many of them actually have the particular project that you're looking for. So, like, I think using any tool to get what you want in life is a really good idea, but I don't think that that tweet is going to make a huge overall difference to the general, you know, you've been in the field for five years or 50 years, and these are your clients, and this is what people know, and these are all the reference books you're in, et cetera, that... You're trying to to change the course of a much bigger ship than hashtag MSWL.
3: Makes perfect sense. So we've got, I think, 10 minutes left before they're going to start to want the room back. So yes, I just wanted
2: to refine my question
1: Suppose you, (laughs) instead of a zombie apocalypse story, you had a vegan apocalypse story. In other words, it's an (laughs) apocalyptic story. But yours is with vegans. (laughs) It, it, <laughs> so, so, you're basically
3: saying, what if your take on a dead trend is so weird, fresh, and different? That's what I mean. can, okay. that, can you is find a place on the. You know, chart can you dance on the grave of the dead trend and still celebrate? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer to that, but I think that's your
1: question. Yes, it's similar. To, and also, like the wonderful O by Thurber, it's like what a literary weirdness where a madness puts mm-hmm. all the O's away or whatever. You have to be a known writer to be doing something like that.
2: So, does, well, things- anytime, I mean, like, that's actually not a bad idea, the vegan apocalypse. Um, though, coincidentally, I was just talking at dinner last night that actually my pound MSWL was for the overlactin vegetarian apocalypse novel. And this is, is just a little bit, too far oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay I have a question over here
1: um, I just wanted to, to go with that um, I don't know if you went to Charlie Brown's reading he's got he did a wonderful reading uh-huh. uh, didn't, I I, I, I did, know, did no I didn't stay. I, so I, I was tired it's it about vampires and they have like a little help help you know, like AA, but for vampires. A support group, right? A support yeah. group. And, and there's one character, and you think werewolf, and you go, oh, I'm going roll your eyes. And then he says, no, we're a possum. And it was <laughs> awesome. And I it's like, the, the idea, like, <laughs> like, I'm not going to go where you expect, and it's going to be awesome. Yes. But it's just going to be that little bit different. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that, like, it yes. helps you or not, but it's just, I thought you know, that kind of livened up the whole, like, werewolf-vampire thing.
5: Oh,
3: thanks. Other questions?
1: Yes.
5: I'm kind of interested to know how the internet is also impacting trends. Like, I know a lot of times, even just on Tumblr, you'll see someone who's like, oh, hey, here's a really cool story idea I wish someone would write, and someone else basically responds to a short story there. I'm sort of curious whether any of these sorts of trends are actually filtering into published literature as opposed to staying there, to your knowledge?
2: <laughs> I think the answer is yes. People pay attention to the Internet. And I also don't think chasing everything in the Internet is wow. the best idea either. Um You know, but like going back when blogs were popular, there were agents who would go look at popular blogs and say, oh, this author, I want uh, this person to write a book. Um, And that's, uh, you know, a very similar example. There's something that comes in the internet
3: and, Cassandra Clare, I think, got her start because she wrote the very secret diaries of the characters from um, Lord of the Rings when the first Lord of the Rings film came out And it was one of those viral emails back when people used to send that kind of thing and um, And she picked up an editor at Tor, I think, or an editor at Tor picked her up and said, do you have a book? I don't remember whether she had a book already or not, but yeah, so Yes
1: um, so Joshua, if you could advise um, yet to be published authors seeking an agent, um, you know I've heard the advice that we should like chase down agents and editors, you know, tackle them. not literally, but you know <laughs> that we should approach them.
0: Yeah.
2: And I also heard the advice that we should not do that and we should
0: just mail in our query letters. Never follow
2: you know, them so into the bathroom. I think <laughs> I am so. Are the, the, uh, uh, that's the etiquette you don't follow us in the, in, in, that's our safety in, 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 in. I mean
4: it is possible
2: as a pro to come to a convention and basically set it up that you never put yourself in contact with the public um, the people at DAW like Betsy Woolheim and Sheila Gilbert are really good at that They'll be at a convention. They don't generally do panels or whatever. They're just there to meet with their clients and tend to their publishing company. And other than finding them in the dealer's room or in the lobby of the hotel in the night when they're meeting all of their authors to go out to the dog dinner, you'll never see them, Um. So it's either staking out the entrance to the dealer's room for the whole convention, or you just, that's not how they want to meet people. I make a conscious point of coming to a convention where so I get to be on programming. Why? Guess what? You don't have to track me down. You know exactly where to find me when I'm at the convention. So why am I doing that if not to be found? There's a hand way in the back.
5: So I've heard various people suggest um, submitting to magazines versus um, entering contests
1: with, with when you're an unpublished new author.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, are there pros and cons to those different approaches? Should they be pursued? you know, how do how do you?
3: Never pay to enter a contest. Never pay to be read. Um, if you were, say, an MFA-degreed poet looking to get a tenure-track job, there are certain competitions that you could reasonably say, okay, this is not a scam. University of Pittsburgh Press wants $20 for entrance so that they don't have to... They're never going to make a penny on your book because they run at a loss, and that's their business model. Um, But then. You know, that that poet isn't planning to make money on their book either. They're looking to catch a patron, which is in the form of a tenure-track job. That's a whole other world. In that world, paying to be read is not necessarily a scam. In our world... Always a scam,
2: never do it. I have a kind of strong opinion from having judged some, like, uh, back when I was younger, I was a lot more likely to go to different writers' conferences, Pacific Northwest or League of Texas Writers or things, which um, a lot of them have a contest as part of it. What I found out, either looking at the partials and the conference finalist table or occasionally judging them, these were not a good source of clients for me. Because is it your goal in life to get published, or is it your goal in life to earn a blue or red ribbon? And those goals are very different, and I would get better manuscripts
4: from the people whose goal was to get published. I tend to tell people to aim to the market that they admire, and aspire, aspire to be in. Don't don't settle for like, oh, I'm only good enough for number five on that list. Aim right at the top, and just work your way down the list. Um, you know, it, if that competition actually has meaning to you. That, and you don't have to pay to be in it. Then there's a there's a so you you have to serve yourself first. Um, so there should be personal value. You, you want to make sure you're going to get paid too, because you know hopefully you're, you're pursuing this as a career. Um, and uh, you know I think that those types of things. Um, look at the audience they have. Are are you going to get readers out of this, or are you just going to get the ribbon? Um,
3: I, I have a, a follow up question, particularly for Neil. Um, what I what I have seen in when I when I kept up my Siffo membership is that editors of best of anthologies will often post an announcement saying, if you published if you're eligible if you were published in the eligibility period and you think there's any chance I might have missed your story send it to me. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly a contest. You certainly don't have to have to pay to enter it, but I think that's one of the things where um, if you're if you're a neo pro it's worth keeping an eye on that and making sure that you don't self-reject. Make it their job to reject you for stuff like that if you have eligible
1: publications.
3: Yeah, have some
6: confidence. And uh, in addition, one of the things I've been doing is yes, as you said, firing it off to the top people and seeing what they say and then working their way down. And the way you find the people, the the smaller press, the the smaller internet-only press, and so on, you go to the dealer's room and collect people's cards because they're looking for people to send them material. Um, their cards and their flyers. Then you go online and look at their submission guidelines and you look at their are they Weird West or the Vampire Romance or whatever.
3: I, I want to make sure we have time for a question
6: from somebody who's been waiting. Anyway, on it. so that's that's one way to do it to find those people. Okay, your question.
1: Actually, my mine was um, just saying that all of the contests in Romance Writers of America, you do pay an entry fee, not more than like twenty or thirty dollars, but you do get. Critiques from not just the pro and pan judges. You also get critiques from the editors, the agents, and the publishers that are doing it as well. And you do get a money prize afterwards, and those credits do look good when you're when you are querying as well. Even even the Rita and the Gold uh, Golden Heart are. Yeah.
3: Well, if you're if you're paying for the labor of critique, regardless of whether you win, yeah. I can see how that would be a different model from yeah. I'm paying you to read me in slush. And yep. you may not make it more than a paragraph in yeah. before you decide that I'm not eligible. Like you, you get very little from being rejected there. But it yeah. sounds like you get something you can really use, even yes. if you are rejected. So I, so I, I guess if you're considering whether to take out your checkbook, <laughs> the question is, what's in it for me if I get rejected? And if the answer is nothing, then the answer is nothing. <laughs> yeah. um, yes.
0: Robert Heinlein wrote his first story, Lifeline, for a contest, and when he finished it, he said to himself, you know, this is good enough to be in, in, a, in a magazine, and he sent it to, what, Astounding? Yes. Yeah, exactly. and, and that's how he got started. Uh, Astounding bought it. And...
6: Forget the contest. Yeah. <laughs>
4: I'll forget you the contest, and that's still pretty good. I
0: Yep.
3: I mean awards have their usefulness i'm like the poster <laughs> child for awards that have their usefulness but i didn't know i had been nominated and didn't campaign don't like campaigning for awards i think is really a losing game for one thing it screws up your craftsmanship because in in my limited experience like the award is an asset that allows me to continue to pursue my craftsmanship therefore it is useful but people who are writing because they want a pile of trophies, it's not just that that's a different motivation, as Joshua was saying, but it also, um, it warps your desire to do your best work for readers or your best work for yourself or your best work for you know the ages or wherever you're aiming. Um, if you're writing your best work for those six judges or that voting body, I, I just, I really think that that's bad for the craftsmanship. Um, I think we might have time for one last question before we need to clear out anybody?
1: yes
5: I'm a bit curious this is again not as much about the trends but essentially what level of if you get a work that is very good but not quite polished what level of edits would you be willing to accept that work having to go through while still considering it worthwhile to pick up
2: Um, I think so long as you think the book is getting better, uh, you know, you can't edit forever and ever and ever, obviously, but I think so long as you think in your heart as the author of the work that, that you're making it better.
5: I guess this is more a question to you as publishers, though, like if you receive a work that is mostly very good but slightly unpolished, essentially, where do you find the line? before this is worth
2: taking in I love rolling up my sleeves my attitude has always been the perfection isn't landing on my desk but there are literally hundreds of literary agents and there are plenty who have the exact opposite approach my job is to get the manuscript and send it out um, and I
4: think publishers can be the same way I guess uh, how much you love the story <clears throat> As as the the publisher, if you see you see something there and it's you know it, that that you can make this better, uh, and, and you see the path, and then and the author is willing to work with you, then that can be a very rewarding experience.
3: Yeah. Am I right in remembering that you rejected Brandon Sanderson's earliest
2: works like several times before yeah, I anyone mean, you Brandon could I Brandon
1: couldn't plot. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And um, Elantris was the first of his books that, when I read it, I thought it could be fixed. Otherwise, I wouldn't have even taken Elantris on with an editor or wanting to buy it. It was the fact that when he sent it to me, I thought this one could be fixed. He's improved.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we look for.
6: <laughs> yes. <the> growth is <laughs>
3: <laughs> Okay. Um so I think we need to we need to head out but thank you all for coming. <clears throat>
1: Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at
0: themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you could email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound
1: effects are by the Free Sound Project.
0: And our theme is by Drew Richcreek. Send us stuff!